This is the Life Truth Network. Truth Exposed, Episode 41. Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth, where we take a deep dive into Scripture. Now located at life-truth.com. Here are your hosts, Keith Heltsley and Nathan Caldwell. All right, here we go. We have a Truth Exposed today. This is your host, Keith, and joined with me shortly, we will have our co-host, Nathan Caldwell, as well as our favored long-deceased radio Bible teacher, Dave Arna McGee from Through the Bible Ministries, which is still out there, still active, still spreading the gospel through Bible uh, teaching, sound Bible teaching, I might add. Visit ttb.org. That stands for throughthebible.org. And uh, check out uh, what people are are doing to keep uh, Jay Warner McGee's teachings uh, alive and being spread throughout the world. And if you say where you heard about them, they'll probably say, who, what, where? <laughs> uh, but uh, hey, the commentaries that I use uh, are freely available. They're out there in podcast form. Uh, you can find them all on, uh, just do a search on iTunes for uh, Jay Warner McGee. You'll probably find him. And you can enjoy uh, uh, all five years of uh, his teaching course. Anyway, with all that said, I don't have a lot in the way of uh, housekeeping, so let's get busy right after a few short words from the folks there at Christian Podcast Community, ChristianPodcastCommunity.org, where you'll hear many fine folks like these. Parenting isn't about us. In fact, parenting isn't even about our kids. Parenting is just one way Christian dads and moms are to worship God. So welcome to the Truth Love Parent Podcast, where we train dads and moms to give God the preeminence in their parenting. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org. John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And by the way, I am reading this from the NASB, from the version of 1977, something like that, 75, that, that, that version. Now, as we come to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, we are going to make the visit that I've mentioned several times, and that is the visit to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha in Bethany. 
and it reveals many things. And one of the things, it's the fact that our Lord put a great emphasis on the home and upon marriage. In the Gospel of John, he opens his public ministry in a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He closes his public ministry by a visit to this home. So our Lord put a great emphasis upon the home, the Christian home, and the home that is a godly home, and a marriage that has the blessing of God upon it. Now, this is a very lovely picture that is given to us here. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, uh, which had been dead, uh, whom he raised from the dead. Um, and, uh, and anyway, this first verse here, uh, after raising Lazarus, Jesus seems to have laid low his priority in Galilee. Uh, as I recall from the end of chapter 11, he went to kind of a in between place along the edge of the wilderness in case you need to duck and hide but several months have gone by since then because uh, at the end of chapter 11 it was just a little bit after the winter festivals which we would now know as Hanukkah and here it is uh, as we're going to find out as we read through this and you can go ahead and peek ahead if you want it is the six days before the Passover. It's it's uh, actually probably the day of his triumphal entry. Uh, I, I'm going to say it's hard to guess uh, when that would be. I'm going to say that this event happened before the actual, you know, laying down of the palms and the march into Jerusalem. So that's just my take on that. Uh, but six days before Passover... And we'll get into the triumphal entry uh, in this next section, uh, starting with verse 12, which we'll have to get to next time. Uh, but in Bethany, of course, um, this is where Lazarus was. This is where the triumphal entry was going to take part uh, as he marched from there to Jerusalem. <laughs> Spoiler, where nothing was really happening by the time he got there because it was so late. So he walked back to Bethany. Uh, anyway, uh, it was the home place of Lazarus, now famously known for being raised, which should be a point of curiosity, which we'll see in just a moment. Uh, verse 2, So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And of course you would expect that. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Lazarus will be reclining at the table with him. They're throwing him a feast. Jesus is, a, or, I'm sorry, Lazarus is the head of the household, so of course he would be there reclining. Uh, and of course, Martha, the diligent, dutiful sister, uh, very you know, logical and forthright, uh, maybe a little bit OCD. She's serving uh, because that's what she does. And, and Mary's there too. Um, but um, but this would have been more of a formal affair, not just a casual private meal, uh, because they did have a, a head table where the fancy, you know, important people were at. Uh, if it would have been more casual, they may not have had that. 
Uh, and at these formal affairs, uh, of they, it would be open to anybody in town. The poor people would come, and they would ha- have their own seating um, where they could, uh, you know, enjoy. As Martha was serving as usual in character, Mary was extravagant. Here we go. In verse three, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet with wiped his feet with her hair not her feet his feet and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume now let's step through that uh, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. This is a very beautiful picture that we have here. This is a delightful dinner at Bethany, the supper that is in the home of Lazarus. According to the expositor's Bible commentary, they state that sometimes spices and perfumes were used as currency at the time because they were small, compact, easy to carry, and very expensive, easy to measure out. Uh, and a pound of pure nard would be pretty close to a year's wage for common labor. I'll comment more on that in just a moment. Uh, but what exactly is nard? I was hoping the expositor of Bible commentary would tell me what in the world nard is, but they didn't say. But it was a pound, and it was pure. So it was the good stuff. She just basically blew, blew a year's salary on the foot washing. But she showed her humility as she washed his feet with her own hair and dried his feet with her hair. Very extravagant. Uh, was she unaware of the value? Was she just being wasteful? Uh, no wonder Judas was upset. Now our attention is called to the fact that Mary here has anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. There are those that try to synchronize this incident with the woman who was the harlot that washed Jesus' feet. I think that you will have trouble with Mary someday over that. This is an altogether different incident. If you consider the details, you'll find out that the only similarity that we have is that the Lord Jesus had his feet washed by tears and his feet anointed with the ointment. And the hair of the women in both cases was used. And we are told that the odor of the ointment just filled that place. Delightful, you know. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, let me pause that right there, it goes on, uh, but Judas says he was intending to betray him, and it makes me wonder if it was at this point, at, at the six days before the Passover, when it really sunk into his mind that he is going to betray Jesus. And I'm sure G- Judas didn't think in terms of betrayal, you probably thought in terms of, hey, this has been an investment, me following Jesus all this time. Now it's time for a payoff. i got to nudge this guy in the right direction. He's been to Jerusalem so many times and made 
people so mad. He needs to, you know, step forth and claim his messiahship. And I, he, he probably thought he was doing the right thing. But we know different. It's been documented through history, theologians, um, and customs and whatnot. Here we are. Let's go ahead and continue the thought here. Verse 5. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Alrighty. There's that 300 denarii. I mentioned before, it was close to a year's wage. Now you can just imagine Judas saying, Can you believe this waste? A year's salary. <laughs> 300 denarii. That, a denarii is one day's work for a common laborer. So 300 I mean, that's 60 day, 65 days short of a full year if you work seven days a week. Uh, I suppose if you took uh, Sabbaths off, still, it's pretty close to a year. And notice here Judas Iscariot is revealing his true nature. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Uh, uh, but oopsie, his, uh, <laughs> uh, his uh, treacherousness is sneaking out there. He puts on a pious face and he says, Just think of all the poor, the orphans, the widows that this could have helped. Of course, I expounded on that a little bit. He just said the poor, but that's what he meant. Because that's, you know, if you read commonly through the prophets and old testament the the and even the disciples uh, were concerned about the orphans and the widows people who could not take care of themselves and this is the highest form of worship i think isaiah says in chapter one in there somewhere um because you're you're being humanitarian you're helping people who couldn't help themselves and as i mentioned a little bit ago this, this was a formal feast, not as a casual one. That meant poor people and widows were invited. Why? Because it's a humanitarian thing to invite those who can't give back. Uh, moving on. Verse 6. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Now, uh, our pastor recently preached on this, uh, Brother Larry Campbell over at Victory. Uh, <laughs> I doubt he listens to this, but... It would be cool if he did. But um, he mentioned that you have two people here and both were worshiping God in a sense. The first was Mary and the other was Martha. One was worshiping by serving. That's what she did. She was being herself. She was serving and there wasn't anything wrong with that. But the other was worshiping in another way with this ointment and that too we will see was good but we will see more about that in a few minutes now here you have a picture of Judas Iscariot he was the treasurer of the group 
And he didn't care for the poor. But the thing that he cared for was for himself, and he was a thief, and he was taking some out on the side. So he wanted it given to the poor so he could handle it and take out his percentage. First, we want to look at Judas, because Judas was not a believer. He was a con man. Um, he was a thief. Uh, the Bible said he was a thief. Actually, later... <laughs> The Bible said he was a devil or had a devil. Uh, it wasn't a good. It wasn't a good uh, <laughs> thing. It was not good at all. Uh, Judas was not a good man. Um, but you know, he raised the objection. Why? Because he wanted that money. He said, "I could have used that." I mean, the poor could have used that. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but that's kind of the comical way that you would look at it. Right? It's like the. I mean, I could have used, I mean, the poor could have used that money. That was kind of the attitude we were looking at. May I say to you today, the real test of a Christian, I think, is the hard coin test, is the way he handles his finances. And the real test of a Christian organization is the way it handles its finances. Yeah. I think that may be a little bit of an afterthought, because I'm sure the disciples maybe weren't aware he was pilfering while he had that treasury box. But maybe it came out later when the funds didn't match up, uh, as often you would expect. Um, but clearly after uh, the events uh, as happened in the, the, the crucifixion involving Judas, you know, there's a proverb that says, uh, what's done in secret, uh, God exposes in public. So Judas may have been pilfering in secret, but his pilfering would become public. Um, he was a hypocrite. He pretended to care about people when really he cared about uh, money. Verse 7, Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, to me, that was a curious thing to say. Now, will you notice? Um, and Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying, hath she kept this? Now, I had a question here on this. And I don't know. This is an I don't know question. Because so many people did not know that Jesus was going to die. Did Mary? Did Mary? I don't know. I'm not saying she did. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm saying that was a question that came in my mind when I read this passage. When the pastor was preaching on this passage, the question came to my mind, did Mary know? Against the day of my burying. Now, this is a remarkable incident. Now, um, Jesus definitely was appreciative of this expensive gift. Uh, he knew exactly her heart, why she did it. He knew that well, maybe she was being a little thoughtless to the value, maybe obviously being extravagant. But he had a forward-thinking eye to his coming death. And whether Mary may have had a premonition or not, who's to say? Uh, he accepted her gift 
her honest, heartfelt gift for what it was, no matter the cost, no matter the expense. And it was it would actually be at his uh, burial when his anointing would take place. Uh, and this, the verse even says that he had this is for my burial. He would not have been anointed at his death. He would be on the cross. Uh, so, so there's that. Now there's a phrase "let her alone," uh, or technically it'd be "let alone her," if you take it straight out of the Greek literally uh, but to let her alone of course it meant that leave her alone leave her be uh, but it would all it also has an implication of forgiveness you know don't bug her leave her alone forgive the little, the little girl <laughs> she knows not what she does well she probably did uh, but just forgive her for you know don't don't hold it against that she doesn't blew a year of salary on my feet it, it's okay uh, and then there's a phrase that this is what was really curious to me is it says that she may keep it uh, let me go back and read that right from the verse here um, Jesus said let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial what is she keeping is she keeping the perfume she just poured out is she keeping what what is it keeping it <laughs> keeping her her gift keeping her uh, offering uh, even though she gave her offering away she's keeping it for the day of his burial uh, now the phrase keep uh, it, it's also translated as uh, to safeguard, uh, to take it into custody, to protect. It implies to have a personal ownership over something. And and so the it is, is just that, the ownership over it. And again, it, it's the gift that she gave, even though she gave it away, she retains ownership over that gift. And, it, it, and it, of course, Jesus connects it to his burial. So her seemingly extravagant, wasteful gift is no waste at all, and it's remembered for all time. Uh, verse 8, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Uh, is how Jesus wraps out his uh, quote there to Judas. Uh, now, was Jesus really concerned about the poor? No. But even if he was, there's what Jesus is saying is there's always a constant opportunity for that type of you know, high-level worship. And it's considered a high level, again, because you're helping someone who can't help you back. It's not like you're throwing a party and you expect a party in return. It's not like you're giving a favor when you expect a favor in return. When you help the poor, you're helping someone who cannot help you back. They don't have the means. They can't afford it. They ha they just don't have it to give back. Uh, the Jesus time on earth was definitely drawing short. And he knew that.
And Jesus continues in verse 8, he says, the poor you have with you always, but me you don't have with you always. And yes, I'm paraphrasing that, and, and hopefully that doesn't offend anyone. But Jesus did not call Judas out on his hypocrisy. He used it as a teaching moment. It's interesting to me. You think Jesus didn't know? He knew. Man, you see over and over in the New Testament, especially in the, well, in the Gospels, Jesus knew the hearts of men. They didn't have to say anything. And he knew what they were thinking. He knew Judas. He knew where Judas was coming from. Even though Judas didn't want anybody else to know, and most likely nobody else did know, because otherwise they wouldn't have trusted him with the, the treasury. Jesus knew, but did not call him out. Instead, he used this as a teaching moment so that he could tell them, you know, I'm not always going to be here. Now, Jesus would always be with his people, but not on earth face to face as he was there. You know, Jesus said, I am with you always. In the Great Commission, he tells us, I, I am always with you. But here he was with them right there. They could see him, and he wasn't always going to be there in that sense. We see that Jesus here was about to die for our sins. We see that God was among men as a man on earth only for a short time. Now, there's going to be a thousand years coming up where he's coming back. That she had entered into his... Verse 9, The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Much of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. These are curiosity seekers. Uh, so, of course, Jesus was something of a pop star of his day everywhere he went. He healed everyone who would come to him everywhere he went when people found out about it he drew a crowd uh, elsewhere in the gospel it says he, he it got to where he couldn't stay in cities because it just grew uh, drew too many crowds he had to stay in the wilderness uh, but people found out about it and here they come like a flock of zombies <laughs> but but they also came because Lazarus had developed some kind of a fame and I don't have exact wording, but also referring back to the expositor's Bible commentary, they make a remark that uh, at this time, whatever Lazarus did for a living, once he was raised, uh, he he seems to have gone into retirement. He became more of a private figure, uh, and now they found out Jesus is here. And, oh, yeah, look here, Lazarus is here too. And they began to invade 
uh, this private formal party. Uh, so, yeah, the curiosity of the risen Lazarus uh, not only made it did it draw people, it made religious leaders just a little bit mad. In verse 10, but the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They wanted to get him out of the way, you know. Now, we know that they were going to put Jesus to death. Uh, but why Lazarus? Well, that's a good question. Because... In verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Christ rose Lazarus from the dead, and many had believed on Christ because of this. Therefore, Lazarus was proof of the truth of Christ. And yet the religious leaders of the day, because they didn't want to lose their power, wanted to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. Now, think about this for a moment. What did Jesus' miracles do? They proved his validity. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus being alive at that time proved his validity. So they wanted to destroy the evidence. Make no mistake. There are people today that don't care a bit about truth, just like back then. They're wanting to destroy the evidence so they can have their power. Beware of those people. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Jesus didn't fit their preconceived idea of Messiah. And uh, Lazarus was an extra draw. <laughs> and people were actually flocking away from the faith, as it were, the Jewish religion uh, that these leaders had set up. And they were abandoning the church culture, uh, their religious lifestyle. But they were actually uh, following a true uh, religion, the true God in, in human form. But the religious leaders were always being called out. They were always being put on the spot by Jesus. They were always being corrected, uh, uh, not mocked, but uh, reprimanded is what we're looking for. But they just enjoyed the church culture, respectful life that they carved out for themselves, the power. Uh, they were feared over people. They controlled people and made them afraid to speak out. People, uh, remember the the blind man when he was healed, his parents were brought forward and like, they were afraid of losing their place in the temple. And I said, ask him, he's of age. <laughs> they didn't want to be cast out of their society. And isn't that even today the way it is, this church culture? People get too involved with church politics um, and religion that they don't see what Jesus is trying to do. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now, personally, 
I think that you can write over this the fact that this faith was like the faith at the very beginning when he first came up to Jerusalem. It said, Then many believed on him when he cleansed the temple. But he committed not himself unto them because he knew what was in man. It was a belief based then on curiosity. And here it's definitely based on that. It wasn't for Jesus' sake. They wanted to see Lazarus. Uh, because Jesus doesn't fear these people. Uh, and these people were the, the upset because the common folks did flock to Jesus to see his miracles. And now they have this thing with Lazarus. And it would just be nice to kill both of them and be rid of them. It would solve the, all the problems. <laughs> Life would be so much easier if we could get back to our own little religious world that we have built for ourselves, our own little bubble to live in. We could just ditch this inconvenient God stuff. Wow. Doesn't that sound like today? Many had believed on Christ, and this upset the Pharisees, who wanted to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. When we challenge the lies of the world, we have enemies. It's not hard to figure out, is it? You know, Jesus said, the world's going to hate you. Because they hated me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus also tells, and the New Testament writers also tell, they both say there will be persecution. In this world, we will have trouble. But be of good cheer, because who? Jesus had overcome the world. He has overcome the world. People... Uh, who don't live in reality and they develop their own little bubble of what's right, like wanting to have abortions or being in the LGBTQ alphabet mafia arena. Uh, it's, it's not reality. And it's, it's very similar to what these religious folks did back then and even some religious folks today you know, remember in the last uh, episode, I, I, I didn't present the way I really wanted to. I had to, uh, <laughs> retropods have to read the, this little snippet from the, that book by Sinclair Lewis, Elmer Gantry. And it's just, was a little paragraph or so of, uh, it's, it's fictional characters a group of uh, pastors in seminary, like the final year of seminary, asking each other, why did you get into the mission field? And they all gave all manner of bad answers. They're, and the whole point of the book is the main character is a hypocrite. I mean, every chapter in the book is like a vignette on uh, uh, hypocrisy. I mean, there's, he does nothing right, <laughs> but it somehow gets... Uh, through a full career uh, in the ministry, just riding the wave of church culture. He could preach a mean sermon. He could say a, a, a prayer like nobody's business and give a speech and whip people's emotions up. But that's not what religion should be about. Well, that's what religion sometimes ends up being about. But it's not 
what it is. If God's not in it, then it's not worth doing. And this is how, where these religious folks are. They, they had built their own little bubble, their own little private world where we're in control and you're not. You must fear us or we will beat you. And this recorded is where they did beat the apostles in the book of Acts. Uh, this is not what we should be. Uh, but anyway, this is where we're going to leave off for now. And as we continue, we will read more about uh, the triumphal entry and some of the events uh, that lead up to... Uh, the Last Supper, and then from there, some f further teachings of Jesus uh, all the way um, to the end. And it, it's uh, going to be quite an interesting ride. So stay tuned, and we will get back with this uh, next time. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29.11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornshai. Well, guys, we have a – we appreciate your time. And we appreciate our listeners. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section. All right, he well, some heavy hitting stuff there. You, it, it, a lot more than you would think in just those opening verses. Uh, and it's not even the heavy hitting stuff we're going to be getting into. Uh, so stay tuned. This is going to be, like I said, a really uh, a, a interesting ride as we move through that here uh, in the upcoming verses and chapters. It'll be definitely worth. Uh, in. Hey, you know what? If you have any comments, uh, maybe we said something wrong. Maybe we didn't say uh, uh, shine a light on a particular area. You got something you want to contribute? Uh, drop us a line. Stop by the webpage, uh, life-truth.com. Uh, leave a, a note on any of the show notes. Send us an email to the contact link. But you know what? Here's Anthony Russo to tell you that and more on how to find us on the web. Take it away, Anthony Russo. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. 
Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May the word of Christ dwell on you richly. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a Savior. Thanks for listening.